Welcome to Investor Talk Radio, hosted by Kurt Davis. During the show, Kurt will share tips and strategies as well as guest interviews on how you can become a successful real estate investor. Kurt Davis was a former chef for 11 years until one day had the opportunity to take a leap of faith, left cooking, and became a full-time real estate investor. Kurt has been building his personal portfolio of rental property and at the same time has helped over 500 investors around the globe purchase cash-flowing rental properties. He is a licensed realtor who has achieved multi-million dollar club status, and he is also very active in the local real estate investment club. And now, here is your host, Kurt Davis. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Investor Talk Radio. I'm your host and founder, Kurt Davis, and joining me today is Alex Craig. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, Kurt. Thank you for having me back. Now, before we actually get to uh, the subject topic we're going to get on today, I've had a lot of people uh, responding lately saying that they've enjoyed the podcasts, uh, uh, strictly because, you know, if this is the first time you've listened, a lot of the podcasts that we do are really kind of Memphis oriented. They're kind of focused on what's going on in the Memphis market, uh, basically trying to more specialize. So uh, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners out there who uh, do appreciate the show. And if you do like it, you know, please feel free to share it, like it, put it out there, tell your friends about it, download it on iTunes. Kurt, yeah, what I like about your podcast is it's very informative. And there's a lot of podcasts that I listen to myself. And you have a lot of fluffer in there, stuff that's not really relevant. But if you're wanting to get some just key details and, and content, uh, the nuts and bolts of the uh, the investor, how to be a better investor, landlord, whatever the topic is, uh, you, you hit those topics and you hit them quickly. Well, listen, I'm, I'm still working on my fluff. Uh-huh. So, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you know, like you said, uh, for the listeners out there, Alex Craig is joining me today. And, uh, you know, the topic that we're going to talk about today, or if I had to put a title on this, is how to be a better out-of-state real estate investor. Now, this was actually a, a subject that Alex brought to my attention. He thought this would be a good one uh, to pick and talk about. Now, uh, Alex, as, as someone who is a owner of a full-service uh, turnkey investment company and property management company, you know, for you to want to pick this one as a, as a topic, and I think it's fantastic that we're actually going to talk about this. I'm excited. Uh, you know, tell me kind of where this came from. Well, you know, I see it more on the property management side because, um, you know, we've got the turnkey business and we do manage everything that we sell on the turnkey side, but we do also take on properties from other, uh, from investors that didn't buy from us too uh, in select areas. So it really kind of gives me an opportunity to see, you know, where this investor, what their philosophy was or how they came to us. And typically if somebody is coming to us from another management company, it's uh, things have gone bad. Uh, sometimes you could look at the property manager or the previous property manager and think, you know, there's there's some things that were done wrong. Um, but sometimes it's, you know, the property manager didn't stand a chance because some of the decisions the investor made were almost a little bit unrealistic. And maybe the property manager should have told the investor this up front, said, hey, what you want to do, where you're buying or how you've done this, it's not going to work. But sometimes people want to take on properties, you know, bring some income in, Sure. And hopefully you roll the dice and it works well. But uh, we see some of those decisions. That's why I thought this would be a good topic. Maybe kind of hit on a few of these that, you know, everybody could kind of, you know, pick and choose, you know, what they think is most important to them. But just some tips on how to do this better from out of state. Sure. And and just to confirm, would you, would you say the percentage of 
out-of-state investors as opposed to local investors is, is far greater? You, pr- you, you primarily work with only yeah. out-of-state investors, correct? Uh, very interesting you brought that up because uh, I was looking at that number today for really no reason, just more curiosity. Uh, 92% of the investors we manage are from out-of-state. That is interesting. Uh-huh. Now, you know, I'm gonna, I got some questions here I wanted to ask you, and we'll, we can kind of just get into this. You know, what areas or types of homes are you, su- are you suggesting that out-of-state investors should focus on or consider? I definitely think they, an out-of-state investor should stay away from the lower income areas, lower rents. It's just such a, you know, somebody that doesn't know the Memphis market that well, they see a home for 30000 that rents for six fifty a month. That's That beats the one-to-one rule. I mean, that's over two-to-one. And the cash on cash is 22%. I mean, it's really, really tempting. But the, the level of management that goes along with that type of property is much different than the space that our, you know, both our turnkey companies operate in. We typically operate in a uh, better area that you could implement professional management and the uh, a little more passive, I would assume. But um, anyways, I think that's one of my tenants calling me right now. <laughs> saying, hey, uh, anyways. Um, so going into the these lower income areas, it's a lot more hands-on. Um, most of the time, we, we turn down that opportunity because it's uh, our management company is not set up for the the labor-intensive efforts it takes to manage these. And let me give you an example. And, and don't get me wrong; there's money to be made on these properties, but it has to be done right. I own one down in South Memphis, three one hundred nine, way deep in South Memphis. Not a great area. Um, one of the first few homes I've bought, and it's worked fantastic for me. It's actually been a good property. I've been very profitable on it. Even on a 15-year mortgage, I've been profitable. But when that house goes vacant, these are all the things that we do. The day the tenant's moving out, while she's moving out, we're boarding up the back windows. We're pulling the air conditioner. We're pulling the furnace. We're pulling the hot water tank. As soon as her last thing's out there, my rent-ready crews are painting the house and getting the house ready, all the things that need to be done. Reason being is the longer that house sits vacant, the more it becomes a target and the more every day that house is vacant, your chances of being vandalized, broken into, go up. So, but by the efforts that we do, we kind of, you know, proof the house for the area by pulling everything out. But we also have the house back on the market within 24 hours of the tenant moving out. Now imagine a property manager managing two or three hundreds of these homes the vacancy we know is higher on them. The, the tenants don't stay as long, for the most part. Always an exception to the rule. But uh, imagine if they had 20 of these moving out in a month. It would be a disaster. You, you know, you, the margins aren't that high in property management, anyways. It's and contrary to you know popular belief, it takes a lot of people to run a management company well. It takes even more people to run that company well when you're operating in lower income areas. So we collect a percentage of the rent. Well, when the rent is lower, then your take home is lower. So typically, sometimes you got to run those companies if you're going to operate in those areas leaner. And there's just not enough staff to manage the property the way it should be. And there's some good property managers that I like in some lower income areas. But I still think that it is very, very hard. I'm able to do it because I'm a local. And, and that's exactly what I was going to jump in on here. You know, as, as a local investor, local investors in general, we'll have a better success rate in owning and managing these homes because we're here. We're professionals. Right. That's kind of what we do. But for the out-of-state investor, when you have to rely on a management company who's number one, going to have to do so much more work for those homes, 
And you know they're they're looking at it from a standpoint of uh, the, the and and would you also agree that even though on these lower quality homes the expenses really aren't that different ex- as far as like when you have to renovate the home as far as uh, labor and materials that's still going to be that expensive. Uh, now you've got a home in a lower quality area. Uh, I, I just see more investors losing long term on these investors. Sure, you might buy the house and things might go great for the first nine to twelve months uh, potentially, but. Uh, these are the homes that we get calls on that investors either wanted to sell or they're looking for alternate management. Sure. And we, um, like I said, it comes down to the management on these these types of properties. The wear and tear on these are unbelievable. I mean, you know, we manage 500 homes. We'll be at 650 next year. So, I mean, we see, you know, and, and most of the time when tenants move out, most of the time it's, uh, you know, to contrary belief that most homes are in pretty good shape. You know, drop twelve or thirteen hundred into it, and you got the house back on the market. We've got a few that are going on right now that we're spending less than five hundred. But in these lower rent areas, it tends to be every time they move out, you're painting the entire house. They've destroyed all the blinds. The, uh, the cabinet doors are missing. Uh, you know, I don't even understand how that happens. Cabinet doors are missing. Carpet that used to be brown is black, uh, and then the bathtub. It looks like something's growing out of it. So. You know, like I said, it comes down to you can make money in these properties, but the one example that I gave, I'm here local, and I've, we're very management intensive on that one home. There's no way I could run a professional property management company and manage in the best interest of the investor if I had a portfolio of 200 of those. It just it just doesn't work. Well, especially if it's something that you don't sell on your turnkey business side, why right. would you manage that? Well, you know, and the thing about turnkey business, just like any other business, it's your reputation. Um, it's easier to grow within than marketing to grow outwards, you know, grow within through referrals. And if you're selling a lot of those homes and ultimately you're, you know, you're talking up those homes. So, and then when it doesn't go well, then you get your out of state investors saying, well, I thought you said this was a good area. Why did my whole house just get gutted? So, you know, it really doesn't make sense for a turnkey investor anyways to sell these to out of state because, you know, if I'm going to talk about these areas, I'm going to be very realistic, you know, and everything I've just said, I pull those things and board it up because of what could happen. Sure. And that's just not really a good turnkey model. You know, we, you know, well, we grow our business by selling good properties in good areas, um, doing things right, and that's positions the uh, the investor to win long term. And it kind of leads into the to the you know the other thing I wanted to ask you about here. You know, you talk a lot about you know the team in your blog posts and in other places uh, that I've seen, like on the Bigger Pockets forum. Where do you think this ranks in being a better out-of-state investor? You know, is it more important than the house itself? Yeah, I do. I mean, first of all, if you've got the right team working for you, they're not going to even put you into a lower rent, lower income house where you're going to face significant challenges long term. But it's, it is the team. You know, you're you know um, you're buying into you know that team philosophy, the staffing of it. Um, you know, you can't do it all by yourself. You know, there's a few little one-man shows out there, and then they're fine if you're doing a couple homes a month. But once you start getting into a professional company, and uh, and, and the business changes too. You know, every turnkey provider that's been successful has had to tweak their model, um, even tweak some of the things we do in management. So the team is very important uh, for selecting homes, having the necessary people in place for financing, 
uh, the right management people, but it really comes down to the, the philosophy of that team too. Well, and, and you know what? A, what a lot of uh, out-of-state investors may not take into account either, because you know they're not on, say, for example, the property management side. But there's a big difference in in the quality the quality of your team from an employee standpoint. You know, you can just hire random people out there who will work for cheap, and you're most likely probably going to get the cheap quality out of them. But you know, sure. for you to on, on as a business owner to pay a little bit more to have better quality employees you know that's the kind of side that the out-of-state investor doesn't maybe necessarily think of when it comes to property management how how good of quality is the actual team right um you know and that comes down to sometimes going with like the cheapest property manager you know the cheapest property manager could sustain that through hiring nine and ten dollar an hour employees and you know of course i own the management company we've prided ourselves on hiring better um people with a little more extensive background, whether it's in property management or not, having some sort of good work history. Everybody in our office, and this isn't a requirement for the job, but it gets to show you our business has succeeded. It's got a college degree or some sort of college education, and that doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't, especially in today's time, and that's a different topic for a different day. But they will demand a little bit more money, um, and anyways, it, it's all about staffing, and you've got the staff right and the property management company because we are ultimately responsible for these assets that we manage, and these are secondary incomes, retirement. So, you know, it's a big responsibility that we un- undertake. Sure. How does the condition uh, or rehab of a home come into play, you know, with, you know, someone wanting to be a better out of state investor? You know, when you talk about leverage, you know, Kind of, kind of take me through that. Okay, so I think the best way to talk about this is just a, a prior, it's just an example. We've got one out-of-state investor, great guy. Uh, we sold him a home. It's gone perfect. I mean, it's probably been at least two years. So same tenants in there, very minimal maintenance. It's gone exactly the way it's supposed to. Uh, and he went off and bought one. Uh, and, you know, we sold it to him for ninety-nine thousand, and the value was somewhere right around there. So you know, at appraised value, but with a new roof, new air conditioner. All the things, if you've you know followed us, you know what we do to our houses. It looks fantastic, one of the nicest on the block. But he went out and bought another home in the low 70s, and the appraisal came in around 90, so great, we got some equity, or he's got some equity. And that makes you feel good, I guess, if you're out-of-state investor. Hey, look, I bought right, because real estate's always been, you know, the you know, people have said, I don't know if I always agree with for what we do, but the money's made on the purchase. If that would have held true, he'd be making money on this house. Problem is, he, like I said, he got that equity. Let's just call it twenty grand within the first year. And I don't, you know, I don't mean to chuckle because it's 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 not, but it's uh, you know, a brand new roof. You know, that was five thousand plus a fifteen percent maintenance markup on it from the management company, uh, a new air conditioner, and several other repairs. Sure. So I don't know. Let's just call it seven thousand dollars in repairs. Well, if he would have bought all that stuff new on the first place, then he's actually out of pocket less money through leverage. But uh, I just advise if you're an out-of-state investor uh, and you're looking for something more passive, if you're buying a home that not all the things are addressed on the front end, then you're really actively managing that. And if that's not what you want, then you know, you're know you spending a lot of time almost creating another job. So it's my personal belief that the best out-of-state purchases are the, are the best homes. You know, and me personally, if I was investing, and we do have a one rental property, it's not out of state, it's in state, but it's seven hours away in Knoxville. You know, we, um, I mean, we did everything right on the front end because I did not want to 
have to deal with a bunch of issues from Memphis. You know, I really wanted it to be passive, and that's what we did. I mean, we hired a great crew to go out and do a bunch of things. Um, you know, the management is uh, yeah, I just wanted to be as passive as possible. Sure, and 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 from a from a business standpoint too, it's probably you know, uh, I. Mean, I I like what I'm about to say in, in terms of when it comes to renovations, simply from the fact that when we when we purchase homes on our buy side to be renovated, we like getting homes that, you know, where we, where we have to replace the roof and the HVAC and the hot water tank and update the electrical, things like that, because uh, then we, you know, kind of like you said, we know those things are new on the front end. Uh, there's, there's less long-term maintenance. A lot of investors out there would refer to it as CapEx. Uh-huh. And so CapEx figures would be a whole lot lower. Um, and, and, and you just kind of feel like you're putting off a better product to, especially, like I said, the out-of-state investor who, has, who for the most part, probably hasn't met you or myself. They haven't met the management company. They don't know the team yet. So it's a lot of trust from uh, out-of-state. So anything that we can do, especially from a renovation standpoint, to uh, keep that confidence, that trust level up, and put out a good product, I mean, that's kind of what, what we like the best. We don't ever really like taking on homes that, uh, and I'm sure you've maybe had this happen before, but uh, you'll buy a house and you'll inherit a tenant. Yeah, that's the worst. That is absolutely <laughs> the worst. It never works out well. Uh, the last equity group that liquidated, we bought seven homes with a tenant in place and we evicted five of them within the first three months. And we're prepared for that. But um, most of the time, I don't know, maybe you're different. Uh, but don't you think that most of the time or what you see when you inherit these tenants, it's always, you know, they're behind or they pay late or it's it's nothing as it seems when you're by these homes off the MLS with the tenant in place. It's it's awful. And, uh, you know, what what uh, what other people may not understand is, is that when, when guys like you or I, when we buy these homes that are rented out and uh, you get the, you know, you may or may not get a lease from the current owner who you're yeah. buying the home from. And then what you don't what people don't understand is is that should you have to go through the eviction process, there's that clause that, that's a lot of times we find not in the lease. Yeah, the, it's, it's uh, that thirty. It's that something to do with the thirty days of being able to start the eviction process. Yeah, it takes a little bit longer to get them out because um, you know it's not on your lease, so you try to get these people to sign your lease. They don't want to sign because they're behind on their rent. You know they know the system, but uh, you know buying homes with tenants in place. You know, be prepared. You know, if you're an out-of-state investor and you've hooked up with a real estate agent, and it sounds great, you're getting a home for nine fifty a month for seventy-two thousand. That oftentimes that real estate agent has no relationship with the property management company. And, and you're getting ahead of me there because I'll ask the question, not to get you to start over. Yeah. But you know, uh, one you know one question I wanted to ask, and it's actually not on my list, but I thought about it right when you started talking was, um, obviously, what you and I do is considered turnkey turnkey model uh there are other people out there who you know for lack of better terms they'll promote like a some type of i've heard it referred to as a turnkey alternative or you might be uh, connecting up with a real estate agent who does have some experience with helping out-of-state investors and things like that what are your, do you have any thoughts either way on on, on that setup? I mean, do you think that investors, well, obviously, you know, we're in the turnkey business, so it's easy to say, yes, we think that they should buy from a turnkey company uh, uh, as opposed to going that way. But what do, what are your thoughts on that in, in, in general? Well, you know, everybody wants the best deal, the best cash flow, the most equity. To me, all that stuff is irrelevant if the property's not set up right. You know, 
we most, you know, and we see the same deals that somebody else, if you're sitting in, you know, Orange County, California, and you're looking on Zillow, you have an agent sending you deals, we see those same deals too. And almost every time that's got a tenant in place, we just go ahead and, you know, that's like, we don't even consider it because of the hassle it takes. Uh, most of the time, these homes aren't, you know, and it, too, if you look at the home that's been owned for five to seven years, it's kind of like buying a used car. You know, that 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 house is not worth, just because there's comps in that area for 90000 you're getting it for seventy, but your home's got an older roof and an older air conditioner and the house is tired. That doesn't mean your home is worth 90000 It just means that there's other homes, probably in better conditions, selling for that amount. So I just think that you... Uh, you, know, you might have a honeymoon period where that works out first, uh, but a lot of investors did this back in, you know, when we first got started. Yeah. You kind of got into the property as cheap as possible. For me personally, that's what, you know, we did the cold lipstick on a pig, paint, vinyl flooring. Um, three or four years down the road, our honeymoon period was over with. We had a lot of expenses. Uh, it's almost like we had to re-rehab a lot of our portfolio because <clears throat> they were sitting vacant longer, the quality of tenant wasn't as good. Now that we've re-rehabbed our properties, according to our turnkey philosophy, uh, my portfolio has been very well. Well, and another thing too that you know that, that I've been hearing out there and seeing, and I, I guess I don't necessarily have an opinion one way or another because uh, you know I don't necessarily begrudge anybody um, from from making a buck. But you know, a lot of these uh, real estate agents that I'm I'm hearing or seeing out there, uh, they don't promote this on the front end until you actually get on the phone with them, but. Uh, you know, the idea is, is that you're going to get with a real estate agent and they're going to, you know, help you get a deal cheaper and things like that. And they might be able to, to help you with uh, finding a contractor and, and linking you up in what they may call their system. But uh, I've spoken with a lot of people who say that these agents uh, will be promoting that they've got some type of uh, additional fee. Yeah, that you have to. Brought. Yeah, it's like, you know, I don't know what you really call that, but. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of like uh, I will help you do all of these things, and in return, it's going to cost you I don't know three thousand dollars, yeah. five thousand dollars maybe I don't know. So the, what I've heard, um, and I've talked to a few of these guys, and I mean everybody's time is worth something. Absolutely. But uh, you know the real estate agent, I mean really, if they were driving around looking, you know, we both know that if you're getting homes off the MLS for every about twenty five offers you make, you might get one. Mm-hmm. So that agent to make all of these offers to get three per, three or four percent of you know sixty thousand dollars that's not really very you know time uh, worth their time so they have to charge them you, they'll charge them between three to four thousand dollars up front so they're getting that you know that's sort of like almost like you call it a retainer and then they're paying uh, then they get a commission too so they're making really about what we make on a turnkey home they're making about six grand. Um, and personally, if you're doing that, then you're you're coming out of pocket with money. Where and you know I didn't come on here to try to plug the turnkey. I really didn't. Yeah. But if you think about it, when uh, when you're buying a property already rehabbed, whether it's turnkey or not, if it's just a rehabbed home in top of market condition, you're putting 20% down on the purchase price, not 20% plus a fee. So you you can't leverage that fee into a uh, into your deal. It's you know, diminishes your return, actually. Correct. Now, what, what do you think uh, for, for investors uh, in terms of leveraging homes as opposed to, you know, paying them off? Well, you know, talking about leverage, too, that's where, I, you know, that's where a lot of people got in trouble when we first got started. Over-leveraged. You did very successfully. You've got 17 homes right now. They're going well. I should know. Uh, I manage these homes for you. I technically have a few more, but no one's counting. Yeah, okay. All right. So uh, 19 or whatever, but it, you're, yeah. it's going well. I, I see your check every month. 
So you did it right on the front end, uh, and I didn't know you when you first got started, but I presume that you cashed out and you kept some of this money behind because you knew that one day you may need it. Uh, a lot of people went out and over-leveraged. They didn't cash flow very much, and that's great for that honeymoon period, but what happens when you have a vacancy or it, a roof? It, and you are so right because, you know, back in the day when I really didn't know you, uh, and, and for, for those out there who may not understand exactly what Alex is talking about, uh, today it might be commonly referred to as the BRRRR or the B-R-R-R-R strategy, yeah. but we just used to call it little to no money down, buying a house with hard money, cash out refi, cash out refi whatever you want to call it. And... Uh, that was our business model back in the day. Part of our marketing slogan was you can buy a house from us with zero down and we'll put 10 grand cash back in your pocket. Who's going to pass that up, right? Not many did. No, and so it it used to work back then. Uh, It's obviously a business model that very, very few people are doing, especially on a a level like you and I are, but uh, investors like myself, I can still find deals that will work for myself doing that, but uh, you are right. We we have seen investors in the past who would get some of that cash out, and it was like, we're going on vacation now. We're, we're buying a new car. We we're just blowing the money. Uh, yeah, uh, watches and you know you name it. But the problem is, is uh, what investors should have been do- doing is putting that into a kitty so that you know call it like your rainy day slush fund because uh, when when uh, those hot water tanks went out and they didn't have the money to pay for it. Uh, People were sadly giving houses back to the bank. Yeah, because that's what the BRR, how many are four R? I, I don't know, three or four. Yeah, so we, we, you know the, that strategy requires you to do the minimum up front. Um, can you name a business? Because I can't. Where the strategy when you start the business is let's try to do this, you know, as lean as possible, cut all the corners, and then cross our fingers and hope that it. It's successful. It's not. And then if you, and, you know, if you've got the cash out, let's go spend that on something personal. No, you dump it back into the business. Um, every business, and you know, we opened up a chicken restaurant up in Knoxville. It's all about positioning right on the front end and investing into your business. That's doing the things that's going to help your property succeed. And, and real estate investing is no different. What are your thoughts on a? You know, most investors that I'm sure uh, are, are similar uh, that you and I deal with, but they're all putting them on 30-year loans. When they do their financing with the bank, it's a 30-year loan. Estimated interest rates these days are 4.875 to 5%. Uh, do you have any investors that you see that are doing 15-year loans, and what are your thoughts on those? Well, you know, I think uh, it's, I think the 30-year loan is great. Um, you know, you want them to cash flow. You know, if you can get these things to cash flow on 15, I think that's great too. Uh, personally, I think that you should start out with 30-year loans, but this comes back to one of these things, I think is being a better out-of-state investor, and I think this is being a better investor, period. And I know you subscribe to this too, is you do want to get these things paid off eventually. And I know there's, you know, I've got a lot of investors that subscribe to different people that say that's ludicrous. Um, and from a standpoint of, you know, wasting equity that you could cash out. But, you know, for me, and I know a lot of investors feel this way, simplify the life as you get older. Get these things paid off. Uh, you will make more money. And that's really when this turns into a viable, long-term, big-time cash flow. I mean, you know, think about all these local guys that we know that have a lot of homes, 50, 75, 80 homes plus, and they're all paid off. Those guys are somewhere different every week. Yeah, they're winning. They're winning. Yeah. Well, and you know, for, for, you know, 
I just look at this is, is that when I got involved in real estate, when I started buying my first, uh, when my wife and I, when we got up to our first, I'd say nine homes, we were just, we were like everybody else. We'll just put them on 30 year loans. You didn't even yeah. think about anything. Well then of course my wife one day was like, uh, we should start putting them on 15 year loans. And I was like, mm, okay, they, they still cash flow. I mean, so, uh, the, the last, I don't know, 11 or 12, some homes that we purchased with that, you know, the, the cash out refi model, uh, have all been on 15 year loans and they, and they all cash flow. obviously not as much as a 30 year loan would, but the thing is, is I'm going to turn 39 here in the next, I don't know, next week sometime. Yeah. Uh, by the time I'm going out, (laughs) maybe (laughs) (laughs) by the time I, you know, but what I want the listeners to understand is that, uh, you know, by the time I turn 50, I'll have at least 12 houses. Yeah. that are paid off free and clear if, if I don't do anything else. And, you know, thank, you know, thankfully I got got going the, in this business young enough. And I know that uh, you, you and I probably both deal with clients that are, you know, easily in their 50s and 60s who are buying sure. these houses. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they'd say the same thing. They wish they would have got started when they were 32. Yeah, we've had a couple people come in the office in the past month and started buying in their 20s. I guess I was uh, 32 when I first started buying, 32, 33. Your little house on Given? Uh, actually, there's a second one, but another one in Carrierville. But, uh, yeah, that was – the Carrierville one was for a different scenario, a uh, little family situation. But that one was actually my first one that I was like, this is going to be my first rental property. And that, that one's been great for me. I think uh, eight years I've had three tenants. So that's good. I just resigned the lease. Sure. But – about the 15 year yeah I, I think it's get your 30 years out of the way then start putting these things on 15 and i've got a few on 10 year that work um you know personal philosophy make your life simpler as you go on now if you had 10 15 paid for properties and you had four houses that need roofs you know maybe look at stripping some equity out of one of your properties do all your capital improvements but don't take out 80 percent. maybe take out 30 percent. so you you know, you can knock out a bunch of capital improvements. You're still going to cash flow on that one home. So I just think when you get these things paid down, it makes everybody a better investor. Let's talk about property management selection. Yeah. How important is that, do you think, in the world of what we do? I mean, it, now you have to keep in mind, too, that the out-of-state investor, they're looking at Memphis or, you know, I guess you could technically say any other market uh, in the Midwest, but, you know, we're talking about Memphis. So they look at Memphis, they see that there's several other companies who do what we do and there's property management. How how does somebody select a management company? Is Do you think that there's a way that they could do that right on the front end? I mean, most clients who buy from a turnkey provider are naturally going to go with that turnkey provider's property management. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to say, you know, like they they should. I mean, that's kind of part of the program. But uh, what are your what's what's your philosophy? I guess in general. Well, you know, most of the Memphis uh, the good property managers, their fee structure may be a little bit different. But at the end of the day, it usually comes out to a very similar bottom line number. You know, one guy may be charging eight, but charging fifteen percent maintenance. Another guy may be charging ten percent monthly fee, but less maintenance. And all usually evens out. But you know, this is part of being a better real estate investor. Never go with the low ball. You know, just uh, a value, cheap property management service, you'll get what you pay for. And as an out-of-state investor, you'll you'll get blood and maintenance. They may be out of business. Um, and then you're really in a, in a bad situation. But, um, you know, the best way to select a property manager, because you're out of state. And you and I, if there's something wrong with our home, 
if we wanted to, we could drive straight to it. If we got a call and said a tree fell over on the house, we could drive to it. Or if the, you know, sure. we've got that ability. You don't have that out of state. So there's there's two things and you know that you need to look at. One is communication because you need that. You know, that's peace of mind. What's going on? My tenant's not late, or you know, the air conditioner. Or did y'all make that repair? So communication. I would ask property managers to say, how do y'all excel in communication? And maybe even send them a couple emails, you know, and see how fast they respond. So maybe you're talking to two or three property managers, you know, and a fair res- response time is the end of the day. You know, you send an email at noon, you should get an email back that day. Our policy is we clear out our inboxes every day. So if you send us an email, in theory, at 4.30, or four, we, what do we, we close at five. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> if you can send it at 4.30, in theory, you should get a response back. And it may simply, hey, got your email. We will uh, follow up tomorrow morning. You know, hey, that's peace of mind. Somebody's out there looking after it. The other thing is where you can lose a lot of money as an out-of-state investor is you hook up with a property manager that's not very transparent. And we get that. That's probably the main re- two reasons we've grown our company is transparency and communication. Where an investor comes to us, like, man, we're getting blood and maintenance, and we don't have any explanation except for a bill that says new hot water tank or plumbing repair. So if that's where you could get blood, you need to have somebody ask a company, how are you all transparent? How are you all transparent with your cost? Because that's the, so important. Because if you don't know where the money's going or why, uh, and I'll just give you a quick example of what we do before and after pictures of the repairs. Mm-hmm. So you see, oh, that's what it was, and this is what it is now, and detailed invoices. Here's the, we buy a lot of the materials ourselves. So here's the material invoice from Home Depot, and here's the labor cost. So uh, very transparent in everything that we do. Sure. And, you know, it's, you, you, we, we could go on and on talking about examples like sure. that. You know, we, we had a scenario uh, in, our, in, our, in, in the way we do management here on our side is obviously a little more unique. Uh, with one of our providers, we had a scenario where um, a client contacted us because the management company reached out to them and said, you need a new AC unit and coil. Yeah. And uh, th- they thought it was a little high. So they asked me to, you know, so, so I called one of our HVAC guys and uh, asked him what, what the cost would be to replace that. Uh, and, you know, there, there, there was a, a difference in price. And that was a scenario where we were able to uh, help the client save a little bit of money on uh, replacing those parts. But, um, yeah, you know, one, one thing I've, I've always thought about, and, you know, I don't know if this is realistic or not, but you have a lot of out-of-state investors who sometimes may or may not know if the repairs that are being done are reasonable. Sure. You know, how do you know? Uh, you know, like some, like, like I was talking to my mom the other day on the phone, and she's like, yeah, I need to, uh, she was saying that my uncle had to have a new HVAC system installed in his house up in South Dakota, right? Mm-hmm. And she said that the price that they, you know, they installed a, a Coleman system, and the, the price total for labor, materials, and everything on a full system was somewhere around like $6,000. And I cringed because I'm like, oh, my God, you know, we could get an average, you know, three-ton system installed down here for everything for call it 3300 to $3,500. Sure. Yeah. And but how does the, how does the out-of-state investor know if, you know, when you charge them X for something, is that a good price or not? I mean, have you have you ever thought about that? Yeah, you know, uh, as you were kind of going over that story, a couple of things really kind of came to mind. Uh, that's one of the things that a out-of-state investor is, you know, list some of the high-pocket items. When you're interviewing your property manager, if I have a hot water tank, what is that going to cost me? If I have a furnace that goes out, if I, have a, if I need a roof, what is that going to cost me? That way you'll kind of see, because those are pretty known costs, you know, for mm-hmm. us. 
Um, you know, somebody asked me how much a three-ton coil costs. I could tell, or three-ton air conditioner system, you know, furnace and everything. I could say how much it's going to cost. You know, mm-hmm. sixteen hundred square foot house. I could tell you how much that roof is going to be. So that'd be a good question, so that they know in the scenario that you're talking about that maybe that's like, wait a minute, these guys charge four, and I could get it done for three. That they know that those maintenance, those property management companies are making a killing on maintenance because some of them do. You know, and they're just not yeah. very transparent, which goes back to transparency. So yeah, um, you know, because a lot of them too, they they own properties in multiple cities. So I had a guy, you know, we charge fifteen percent of maintenance. There's a reason we do. It's not free to, you know, to carry insurance and to have an outside job supervisor that's got a contractor's license. Uh, that stuff costs us money. So there's a cost of staffing outside. But so we had an investor. I think our hot water tank. Uh, he was like, "You're not going to charge me fifteen percent on top of that." I'm like, "Well, we have to. I mean, that's part of our business." He's like, you know, because I just paid. Uh, and he's like, I want three quotes, and I said, well, we don't do quotes. We got a set price. We tell everybody what the price is. Well, I want three quotes because my property manager in Dallas told me it was going to be twelve hundred, and he got three quotes, and I ended up getting my hot water tank installed for a thousand. I said, well, we're getting it done for six hundred and twenty dollars. He's like, oh, that's a good price. So you know, cost in different markets don't match up. Uh, so that's something to consider. Just because you might want to when interviewing, don't think, well, I know in in Dallas, I pay five thousand for that. Well, in Memphis, that may be three. Sure. You know, it's a, maybe it's a more competitive market that drives prices down here. Sure. Now, now obviously, Memphis is just one of you know what would be considered a top uh, market for investors to consider purchasing. There's obviously other markets that you've probably heard of: Kansas City, Indy, yeah. Cleveland, Birmingham, and you know who knows what else. Timbuktu. The list goes on and on. Uh, but a lot of investors you know, are spreading their portfolio across multiple markets, you know, I mean, this could be a whole nother show in its own, but I mean, do you, do you see any downside or, or anything? What, what are your thoughts on people who say that they're in, you know, I'm, I'm in 10 markets. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, they've created, they've, they've built themselves a job. Um, you know, I've got Memphis and Little Rock in Knoxville, one in Knoxville, a couple in Little Rock and then in Memphis. And, um, you know, that's easy for me to manage, especially being a property manager. But we do have one client that has, I want to say eight, she has eight, eight to nine property managers. And every month, and it's fine, you know, our job is to help. We're in the customer service business. But every every month, it's, you ought to send me my check. Well, we have to tell them, remind this individual, hey, look, we send on the 5th. You know, my other property manager sends on the 1st. I'm like, well, that doesn't have anything to do with it. So they don't, and they don't log into the system because they've got to learn property wear, Buildium, Appfolio, Property Boss. You know, so it's, you're creating yourself uh, a lot of uh, extra work. Uh, you're not going to be as sharp to know if maybe your manager overcharged you on something. So, you know, you could easily, just by you being busy for a couple months, um, see some dollars go the other way because you're just not efficiently running your, your business that way because you're, you're just spread too thin. So, but it goes back to team. I mean, how many people, you know, we talk about this all the time where me and you have sold a client and then they go buy another property from somebody else here in town, you know, and they're like, wait a minute, everything's been going green. You're kind of perplexed, right? Yeah, it's like, right? it, it's, kind of, it's kind of like you've had a, a positive experience. Everything has gone pretty much according to plan. Obviously, nothing is perfect 100% of the time, but uh, if you got a great house at a good price and it appraised and the house rented out where it was supposed to, uh, you, yeah, you were all right. You are kind of perplexed as to, you know, hey, they, they went somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, uh, we joked about that time we had a bus tour and there's two providers on it and... I sat next to this guy the entire time 
we talked baseball, huge baseball fans. He checked out our operation. Then the other guy, he checked out their operation, you know, and then he never met you and bought something from you. And you want to know the funniest part about that? And I don't remember if I told you this, but uh, <laughs> you guys did that bus tour, just like you said. All those clients, you made a good connection. The guy ends up, comes, and buys a house from me, but he takes his property management to the other company that That's was right. with you on that bus tour yeah. because he felt like he needed to do that for some reason or another, and it was well, you know, kind of blew my mind. And that goes back to the team. The, the, the team is more important than the house. These houses are all, I mean, a house is a house. You live in California, you know, Germany, Paris, Washington, New York City, and these are all places people buy from. The house is really irrelevant for the most part. So that comes back down to the team. And I don't know how that guy's done, but, uh, you know, as an out-of-state investor, I mean, just like any business, there's good businesses and bad businesses. Stick to what's working for you. Don't don't try to spread that uh, that seed. I know it's tempting where you want to feel like a mini real estate baron known in across the country, and that's great, but... You know, it doesn't take a lot in real estate for profits to go the other way. So I've always been a proponent of sticking with what works, stick with your team, um, and like and then it have to be me, it could be you or some guy in Kansas City, but you know, don't spread yourself thin and really do not undervalue the team. The team is more important than the house every time because a good team won't put you in a bad house. Absolutely. And all and you know that a good team is also going to be there when you do have rough times, when you do have a uh, vacancy or, or tenants not paying, or they're going to be there to help you get your home uh, re-renovated and make ready for the next tenant. So yeah, there's, you know, there's, like I say, it's team is huge. There's a lot that goes into it. And that's kind of what separates, uh, you know, companies like us from the one man shows. Yeah. Um, you know, when we opened the restaurant in Knoxville, I was all excited thinking, wow, we're in Knoxville. I want to come up here and we're going to start an outfit up in Knoxville. So, providing turnkey properties in Knoxville. You know, we started in Little Rock four years ago, and that was easy for us to start up because my cousin's husband lives up there, and he was he's owned real estate since 97. He's got a huge portfolio. That was easy to plug into, family, relationship. I didn't know anybody in Knoxville. And putting together a team was extremely hard, and I was like, forget about it. Uh, you know, that's, that's it's hard to do, you know, and, and there's some good realtors out there, but part of me is like well this guy's a good realtor but he don't have any investment properties you know how can he really relate to me so well know. yeah i mean just like you said i mean back in 2012 uh craig and i you know we were still kind of rounding out the heyday of all the investors from singapore and new zealand yeah. and australia they were you know memphis has kind of finished its cycle then and then the new market if you recall that was real hot and heavy uh was atlanta yeah so atlanta was hot for about 12 to 18 months maximum and we had a lot of clients that were that were saying uh, we're we're looking at Atlanta. Are you guys in Atlanta? And then our, the idea at the time was is no, we're not. But maybe we could be, right? So yeah. we were we were looking for a realtor who could make offers, and they had a you know we were relying heavily on one or two people to try to do this for us so that we could continue to service clients. But in reality, uh, if you don't actually have your own physical team. A location, people that are that care about you and your business, it's not going to work. No, it's not, and that's why Little Rock was just such a fit because I, I was already plugged into something there. Um, and if y'all had gone to Atlanta, y'all don't know enough about Atlanta to go in. Atlanta's huge, you know, and and Memphis is no different. Memphis is not as big as Atlanta, but you know, within 
you know, we're selling a house right now in a, a really good part of the Midtown area. But if you don't know Memphis well enough, you could get duped into buying a house on the other side of the tracks and paying way too much. And it's two different neighborhoods. I've always said in, in certain neighborhoods in Memphis, you could tee up a golf ball, take out your three iron, and in any given direction, if you hit the ball, you're going to be hitting on, you know, uh, different types of neighborhoods. So it's um, it's tough to open up shops and be that multiple, be that know-it-all for all markets. And there's a lot of affiliates that do that, but they're more marketers hooking you up with providers. Correct, correct. Well, I know we're kind of uh, getting towards the end of, of our talk here. Is there anything that we missed or that you thought we should cover or just touch on a little more? Yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, we could go, like I said, on and on, you know, so uh, maybe we'll save it for, and this is my third time on the show, you know, like on Saturday Night Live, when you hit a show five times, they make a big deal about it. Oh. You know, so I'm working towards my fifth show, and so maybe that's, I'll save some content since you'll invite me back for a fourth, and then a fifth, I've, I think I should get like a, a robe or something. Well, you know, the, I, I, I enjoy doing the podcast a lot, and I'd, and I'd probably do a whole lot more. Uh, if I had somebody to where we could do a format, I do a lot better in maybe like an interview format like this. For me to do a podcast where I just personally talk the whole time, uh, you know, I've tried it before. I don't really, it's just not my cup of tea. I like, I like to have the back and forth conversation with somebody because then you've got uh, two ideas going and you, you can kind of just work off the other person. But um, it's very good know. content. It is. I mean, sure. And, um, you know, I, whenever I'm on your show, I'm always sending it out. Mm-hmm. And I get people say, that's great. I loved it. Love the content. So it's... Well, and I was going to say, for, for people who do listen to these podcasts, if you do like not just this episode, you know, I kind of said at the beginning of the show, but if you like this or other episodes, uh, you can find us on iTunes, Investor Talk Radio. You can download us. Uh, you can like you can like this. We put them on the website. We put them on Facebook. Like them, share them, put them out there. Spread the word. I mean, for anybody who's doing any type of real estate investing in Memphis, I mean, this is great stuff because we're here in Memphis. We're local. This is what we do. Uh, uh, like I said, I gear these really around towards Memphis. That's kind of my niche uh, rather than trying to talk about what I think is going on in other markets because, number one, I'm not investing in other markets right now, and I don't know the other markets like the other people do, so I'll talk about what I know about. Right. And then, you know, I know people in California have got time. I've just got back from Orange County for spring break with my family. And it's just the first couple of days, like, oh, cool, that's 11 miles away. You know, like hour and a half later, we're almost there. So I was like, <laughs> I now understand why so many people listen to podcasts in California. They're always in their car. And <laughs> hey, man, man, listen, I hear you. Well, listen, everybody, that's going to do it for this episode of Investor Talk Radio. Uh, again, I am your host and joined by Alex Craig. I really appreciate you coming on again today. Absolutely. Anytime. Uh, quick plug. Uh, MemphisTurnkey.com. Uh, Alex Craig. Jeremy Veldman is the uh, inside sales and marketing. You could reach out, hit the uh, hit the info, go to our site, opt in. Either me or Jeremy will hit you back. Property management company is www.memphisrentalhomes.com. And uh, we manage properties. And you can also check us out at www.buy, that's B-U-Y, memphisnow.com. You can check out my podcast site at crtdavis.podbean.com. You can check them all out there, or you can find them on uh, buymemphisnow.com as well. So that's going to do it for this uh, edition of Investor Talk Radio. Uh, Until next time, I will see you then. 
This show was produced by Kurt Davis and KurtDavisOnline.com. All rights reserved. To reach Kurt Davis, you can find him on the web at www.KurtDavisOnline.com or email him at Kurt at KurtDavisOnline.com. Everything you heard on this show should not be taken as personal or professional advice. You should conduct your own due diligence. Opinions or comments of our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Kurt Davis or KurtDavisOnline.com. 